Have you ever wished that you could know the future? I mean, how cool would that be? You'd know what stocks to buy and what investments to, to avoid. Uh, you could beat everybody to the grocery store when there is a storm coming because you would know that it was coming. As a matter of fact, every TV station would want you to be their chief weather person because your predictions would be, be accurate. You would be making the circuit of all the late night talk shows because they would want to know how can you do this. Presidents and kings and leaders would want your influence with regard to domestic issues and foreign issues and economic issues and, and, and everything else. I mean, how cool would it be? Even your NCAA tournament brackets would be perfect if you knew what the future would hold. But if you knew the future, you would also know what tragedies would happen and how they would happen and when they would happen. And suddenly, we would no longer be able to live with a sense of joy because you could not enjoy today knowing what was going to happen tomorrow. We would be fixated on the tragic and miss all of the good of every moment that comes along. So I'm content to know nothing more than what is in this present state. And, and, and still yet in the back of my mind, I just like a glimpse into the future. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just a glimpse? Well, the good news is that's exactly what God did through the prophets of old. He gave us a glimpse of tomorrow. We're, we're at the last of the major prophets today. This is the book of Daniel. And, and you may remember that we began the year with a study of Daniel. Uh, January, February, or March, I spent time going through the narrative of Daniel. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. We talked about Daniel in the lions. And we went through all of that. We didn't explore any of the prophecies. And so this morning, I want to take you to a little of the prophecies. And while we can't explore it in detail this morning, I just want to give you a glimpse because Daniel reminds us that God is still in control and that for all the unusual weird prophetic language that we say I can't understand the prophets of old for all the unusual language I'm here to tell you it is still easier to understand than the IRS code so don't give up we're just going to go through this together now, you may, you may remember when, uh, back in January, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That was the first king of Babylon under which Daniel served. And he had this dream of a statue. And, and we got a, a, an artist's rendering of what that statue probably looked like. There was the head of gold, there was the chest of silver, there were the thighs of bronze, and then there were the legs of iron uh, with the clay in, in the feet. And those represented four great kingdoms that would succeed one another. The first one, the head of gold was Babylon, the silver were the, was the Persian Empire, uh, the bronze uh, was the Greek Empire, and the iron fist kind of rule was Rome in that day and time. But then, but then came the exciting part of the prophecy. In, in chapter 2, verses 44 and following, it says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. When Nebuchadnezzar's dream came to an end of this golden, silver, bronze, and iron statue, there was a rock that was carved out of the mountainside that came tumbling down, and it obliterated the statue. And Daniel goes on to say, this is the kingdom of God. It is symbolized by this rock, not cut with human hands, but one that has great power. Nothing can stand against the rock. Kingdoms will come and go, but the rock will stand forever. It gives new heart and meaning to what Jesus said when he said, upon this rock, 
I will build my church and not even the gates of death will prevail against it. God's kingdom will survive. Now, 50 years later, Daniel has his own vision. Belshazzar is king, and his is very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's. Everything differs, but the meaning is the same. Daniel finds himself in this vision standing upon the shore of the Great Sea. The Great Sea would have been the Mediterranean at that day and time. And the winds are blowing and howling, and the, the sea is churning and everything. And you think, well, what does the sea have to do with it? It's symbolic of human history. We talk about the sea of humanity. All right, well, out of the sea of humanity uh, and the turbulent times of the past come these four animals. And this is, a, this is really one peculiar zoo. First thing out is a winged lion. Second animal out is a bear with three ribs hanging out of his mouth. The fourth is a four, or third is a four-headed, four-winged animal that looked like a leopard and moved like a leopard. Dr. Seuss would be proud, all right? And lastly, a beast with iron teeth and ten horns. Once again, they represent those kingdoms. The winged lion is the kingdom of Babylon. Did you know the lion was the national symbol of Babylon, just like the bald eagle is our national emblem here in America? The second is a bear. Now, in the Bible, bears were always vicious creatures, and it represents the Persian Empire. And the three ribs that are hanging out of his mouth represent the three nations they conquered to reach the zenith of their, of their power, the country of Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. The swift four-headed leopard is the Greek empire under the reign of Alexander the Great. Now, it's swift because that's the way Alexander attacked. It was almost this blitzkrieg kind of an attack. And the four heads represent the fact that when Alexander died, the kingdom of Greece was divided among his top four generals. And then the iron teeth and the tin-horned creature represent the crushing power and the might of the Roman Empire. And remember, the Roman Empire did not really come to be. The Roman Republic was in existence for a long time. But the Roman Empire began in 27 B.C., which is just a couple of decades before the birth of Christ. And so this, this vision of Daniel's takes us right up to the time of the year that we celebrate right now. And then suddenly there is a change in the scenes. And Daniel sees what appears to be some kind of a courtroom. And he watches and he listens and suddenly God enters the courtroom. And this is how Daniel describes it. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze, and a river of fire was flowing, coming right from before him. And thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court was seated, and the books were opened. Now, we are not looking at something past. We are now looking at something future, our future. This is the only place in the Bible where God is called the Ancient of Days. It is a grand description. It does not mean older than dirt, as if God has got dementia. It means the Ancient of Days as in one who transcends time and space. One who has been forever. Bible say, says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Moses wrote in Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, the ancient of days. White robes and white hair depicting his purity, a river of fire coming from the throne depicting his perfect judgment. And then the books were opened. You say, oh, well, what kind of books does God have in his library? 
Well, the word book here is actually the word scroll. Book would not have made any sense at that day and time. So we're, we're looking at these scrolls. What kind of scrolls or books does God have in his library? Well, this is interesting. Did you know God has a book of our tears? Psalm 56 verse 8 says, record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? It is comforting to know that the tears that we shed, the sorrow of our life, the heartbreak that we experience is not overlooked by God, that he's recording those moments of our life in his book of tears. Then there's the book of remembrances. Malachi 3.16 says, A scroll of remembrance was written on, uh, in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honor his name. In other words, God knows when you're trying to honor him and trying to obey him and trying to be who he wants you to be. And God's keeping record of that effort in his book of remembrance. After all, he is the only one who truly knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for heaven's sake. Then there's the book of deeds, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on earth and sky, fled from his presence, and there was no longer a place for them. And then I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. You do realize, don't you, that there is a record of our deeds and our actions, and that we will someday be accountable before God for what we've done in this life. And then the grandest book of all, the book of life. Revelation 20, 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life. It signifies that you have come to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he is your Lord and Master. So I'm asking you this morning, is your name written in the book of life? That's the only book that really matters. It supersedes all the rest of these. You, I just want you to make sure that your name is in the book of life, that Jesus Christ is your king. Well, the vision reaches its grand climax in Jesus. In verses 13 and 14, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow, what a marvelous, magnificent picture of Jesus. It's just a glimpse, but he's coming on the clouds. Would I like more detail about that? You bet. But it's enough for me to know the end of the story. Everything is under God's control, and in Christ, we are victorious. Some of you are saying, oh, big deal. This was Daniel stuff. This is ancient history. Why is this important? It is important, and I'll tell you why it's important. I'll tell you this morning why it is a big deal. Out of this vision, out of this prophecy of Daniel come these three truths. I don't want you to forget. Here's the first one. Evil will not triumph. In the long haul, at the end, ultimately, evil will not triumph. Suffering, sorrow, and heartbreak will not last forever. The injustices that result from living in a broken world will eventually be avenged by the justice of God. Daniel's vision goes on to give us a glimpse that the wicked kingdom that was depicted by another horn that came out of this last beast will be thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, evil's days are numbered. It will not last forever. Did some of you get bad news this week that reduced you to tears and left you knowing that nothing would ever quite be the same again after what you learned? There is a day 
coming when there will be no more bad news. Have you recently stood by an open grave to say goodbye to someone you love dearly in this world? I'm here to tell you there is a day coming when even death itself will never again be able to rob us of life. It too will be destroyed. This week, we received news that uh, Deepak Dhingra, the energetic leader of the North India Christian Mission that we support, passed away unexpectedly uh, of a very intense viral uh, condition that for all of the medical experts that were surrounding him could not conquer it. And you know, you, you get this news and you think, Lord, why? I mean, Deepak, a, a man in his early 50s, uh, he's got a wife, he's got two sons and two daughters, and the work that he was doing was tremendous work in, in the nation of India. I mean, hundreds, thousands of people were coming to know Jesus Christ through the ministry of this, of this work this mission that he was so diligent with. And he, he was a man of great vision and boundless energy for Christ. And he will be greatly missed in the kingdom of God in this world. And honestly, I have no answers for why bad things happen to good people. I wish I could understand. But I am ever so grateful that someday death will never again be able to rob us of life. The days of suffering and tragedy are numbered Evil will not triumph, and that, folks, is a big deal. Here's the second thing. God is still on his throne. Kingdoms, empires, nations rise and fall, but our God reigns forever. In the book of Daniel, whenever Daniel would go in to see one of the kings, his, his common salutation would be, Oh, king, live forever. We kind of do some of the same thing today in nations around the world when they greet kings and, and great leaders. Oh, live forever, reign forever. None ever do. You notice that? Not a, not a one of them has ever lived forever. It's because kingdoms come and go. Kings and presidents and potentates and dictators come and go. As a youth, I, I, I never dreamed I would see the Soviet Union dissolved. I never thought we would see Germany reunited. I've had to relearn geography. Have any of the rest of you found that to be true? There is no more Czechoslovakia or Yugoslavia or, or Rhodesia or Zanzibar. I mean, they're, they're gone. The, the, the land is still there, but it's new nations, it's new leaders, it's new everything. It, nothing is the same. Kingdoms rise and fall, and it's not ultimately determined by military power or financial power or political power. It's a part of the moving of God because His kingdom will endure. Our great encouragement is this, that no matter what happens in this world, between nations and empires and kingdoms, no matter what kind of compromises are reached between presidents and prime ministers and dictators and thugs, no matter who does and who doesn't have nuclear weapons, in the end, God's kingdom is the only one that survives. God is still on the throne. God has the ultimate choice and decision at the end of time, and that's a big deal. Here's the third thing. Jesus will return. I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Oh, what, what a grand picture. He's coming as if on the clouds of heaven. Now, there are three descriptive titles of Jesus in the Scriptures. There's Son of God, which emphasizes His divine nature, Son of David, which emphasizes his royal heritage, and Son of Man, which identifies him as one of us. And I saw the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. The problem is most of us live as if tomorrow is guaranteed and that life as we know it will never end. But the daily obituary page in the Herald Times tells us a different story. 
The grand promise of God assures us that Jesus will return, and when he does, that will change everything. For those who have pledged their allegiance to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that'll be the grandest day of all history. That's a big deal. So in light of those three facts that come out of this prophecy, evil will not triumph. God is still on his throne. Jesus will come again. How, how should we live? What should we do? Well, the answer is pretty simple, actually. Make the most of your life right now. God has assured us of a victorious outcome. We know the end of the story. Don't know a lot of details between here and there, but we know the end of the story. And knowing the ending changes how we act and live right now. Several years ago, I was watching on a Sunday afternoon the uh, final round of the Masters tournament on television, and we had a service here that night, and so I had to leave a little bit early to get here to get everything re ready to go, and so I just hit the record button, you know, I was going to watch the rest of the Masters tournament when we got home. I was talking to one of the guys here at church, and he said, did you see the Masters tournament? I said, yes, but don't tell me the ending, because I'm recording it, I'm going to watch it later. He said, oh, well, it's a good one. He said, you're really going to use it. He said, when Mark O'Mara hit that last putt to win he caught himself, but it was just too late. And, and so I knew how the, I knew how they did. You know, that's, there's a little bit of deflation on, on something like that. But when I, I did go home, and I did watch the end of it, and, and you know, when you know how it's going to turn out, you don't, you don't get all hot and bothered by what's going on. You know, there were times when somebody would hit a, hit a, a shot that it looked like they were going to take the lead, and the gallery would go wild, and I'd say to the TV, oh, don't worry about it. I know the end of the story. This, you know, <laughs> keep, keep, you know, keep it, keep it down. This, we know. Well, the fact that we know how the story ends affects how we live out each day. We may not win every battle, but we know that the outcome of the war has been determined. We know the end of the story. So if you've been thinking that Monday mornings is just an ordinary day, start thinking about every morning as being extraordinary. Instead of seeing tomorrow as just another day, start viewing it as another gift from God. If you can get up and eat and move and live and breathe and have a conversation with somebody else, it is a gift from God. If you're praying that God will make you something special, then start praying that you will become special in somebody's life who needs you. If all you can see is the negative around you, then stop praying that God will remove, then start praying that God will remove your spiritual cataracts and that he will give you clarity of view of the good things, the honorable things, the noble things, the positive things around you. It's not too late, even this year, to change your attitude about every day. You know the end of the story. That should impact how we go into this, what some people say is the most hectic season of the year. And I know it's stressful. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, it can be a tough time. Um, for people, uh, it can also be a lonely time, a depressing time, a time of heartbreak because of things that have gone on in their life. So, so let me give you just a handful of practical ways this morning that you can make the most of these next three weeks and turn the corner on your attitude about tomorrow. First of all, with regard to the holidays in this season, uh, be realistic. The holidays don't have to be perfect. The decorations don't have to be perfect. Family traditions come and family traditions go. Sometimes they have to change as families change. That's okay. Hang on to some that are treasured. Be willing to make new ones that will be treasured for years to come. Just be realistic. Okay? It doesn't have to be a perfect time. Just be realistic. Here's another one. Create a Christmas budget and stick to it. Before you go out and start spending money, determine how much you're going to spend and then determine that it's, it's not the gift, it's the love with which it's given. Money cannot buy joy, 
And so make sure that the gift that you're giving or making or baking comes from your heart. Stick to your budget or you'll find yourself all stressed out. Budget, budget your time and learn how to say no. You can't do everything, so choose what works best for your life and your family. Because if you get stretched way out of proportion during this season of the year, you won't enjoy it. Set aside family differences and get along. Every family, every family has warts and blemishes and bad spots and people that you, you, know, you don't particularly enjoy being around. You know, there's that crazy uncle that you're just not sure you can hardly stand to be around at Christmas. Do it anyway. Okay? Uh, it, it, can I tell you, it's not the gifts, it's not the decorations, it, 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 it's not the, the food, it's not the tree that will sustain you in tough times. It's family that will be there for you. So swallow your pride a little bit and say, you know, some of these differences really don't matter in the long run. And it's true. Most of the things that divide us don't matter in the long run. Loving somebody else in your family may be the biggest, best gift you'll ever give. You may have to lead the way, but do it like Jesus would do it. Love them, not because, but in spite of their warts and blemishes, because they are loving you in spite of your warts and blemishes as well. Reach out and do something nice for somebody else, preferably for somebody who cannot return the favor. Um, I read about a business executive that every day after he parked his car in the, in the parking garage and he walked to his office, he passed a corner where a lady had set up a, a homemade cookie stand. And he wanted to encourage her and applaud her for, for trying to make a, a little bit of money on the side to help support herself. And so she would make these homemade cookies and she would have them for sale for 50 cents a piece every morning. So he'd walk by and he'd put 50 cents on the counter and he'd never take a cookie. This went on for months. And so finally, one Friday, she stopped him. She said, I'd like to have a word with you. And he said, kind of chuckled. He said, I, I suppose you want to know why I put 50 cents down and never take a cookie. And she says, no, I just wanted you to know that starting Monday, the cookies would be a dollar. You may not always be appreciated for the things that you do by people around you. You may pour your heart out and somebody may not appreciate all the effort that you put into it that's okay you're not doing it to be appreciated by others you are doing it because it's the right thing to do and you are doing it to honor God and isn't that why we're here to honor and glorify God I'm going to ask you to do something again this year we did it last year uh, and, and I, I know that it meant a lot uh, on both sides of the coin. Out in the foyer, we have a kiosk set up simply called Christmas Service, Service Project. And we've got the names of our widows and widowers and shut-ins and residents of convalescent centers. And I'm asking you as a family to take at least one card, maybe two, uh, and, and, and do something special for somebody who may not have anybody else in this season. Maybe it's a special Christmas card that you get and everybody in the family signs it. You write a special note to that person. Or maybe you uh, take a plate of, uh, of goodies that you've fixed for Christmas and you share it with them and you go make a visit. I, I don't know what it is. You be creative. You think of ways that you could do things. But I, I'll tell you, your, your celebration will be blessed. It will remind you that because of the end of the story, we're doing these things today to show that there is hope even in the midst of all the heartbreak of the season. You've got three weeks left of December to make a grand difference. Here's the last thing. Keep Christ at the very center of your celebration. Isn't that why Christmas is here? It's to celebrate that God came into this world. If you remember the why of Christmas, then the what, where, when, and how won't matter so much. It's the why that counts.
Folks, some days just aren't easy. Some days are just broken days. On the broken days of my life, when the bottom seems to drop out, do you know what keeps me going? It is this truth. I do not know how the day will unfold, but I know who holds the end of the story and how it unfolds. These truths help me with the outcome of tomorrow. On the tough days, I remember evil will not triumph forever. God is still on his throne and Jesus is coming again. And knowing that, you and I can handle anything in this world.